Hello my friends, this is Alex. Welcome to Socialism Survival Podcast number 50. Thank you for your listenership and encouragement that helped me to reach to this point. I hope also that you will agree with me that this show is special. When you will hear the interview with a special guest that I am about to introduce on Socialism Survival Podcast after this short segment of virtual housekeeping and community organizing. First, about special drawing that I announced last podcast. For me to have that, I want more of you to call me with your feedback using my Google Voice feature on socialismsurvival.com website. So I decided to extend it for one more week and also include three more winners that will be chosen uh, by a random number drawing. Of course, I will be happy to hear from you in a different ways. You can write me email to podcast at socialismsurvival.com. You also can connect with me as Socialism Survivalist at Facebook or Alex SSP at Twitter or simply find Socialism Survival Podcast on Facebook and click like. Don't forget to go to my website and subscribe to iTunes from there or to email notifications of my future shows. And as always, the most important request, please link to socialismsurvival.com from your blog or website and introduce others to this show. I thought how I can make this special 50th show even more special. In the Ukrainian culture that I was born, it is important to show a respect to those who gave you birth like your parents or to those who inspired you or helped you to get up and do something or achieve something. And I'm about to introduce to you my special guest without whom I would probably never have this podcast or at least would not get as far as having 50 podcasts, including this one. More than a year ago, I discovered uh, his podcasts, where he sometimes challenged uh, others to start their own podcasting if they have a passion and have something to say. Listening to him, I thought, well, looks like I have both. I have a passion for preserving our freedoms being taken by socialists and also have my personal story and experience of surviving Soviet socialism. 
and what would be a better time to start such show than now, when socialists and all kinds of statists are destroying this great country. In September last year, I uploaded my first podcast, and since then I had this show every week. I thank you, my listeners, for staying with me. And I thank you, my guest, who is waiting on the line, for inspiring me. Jack Spirko, welcome to the uh, Socialism Survival Show. Well, Alex, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm really happy to be here, and uh, I appreciate you uh, saying nice things about me. And I'm, I'm glad that what I did was... Uh, sufficient to kind of motivate you but one thing you need to know is what you're doing is important and it was inside of you and maybe you listened to my show and that kind of triggered something but listening to you and understanding where you come from and understanding how much you care about people here i think one way or another you would have you would have ended up here uh one way or another i'm just glad that uh i could be part of that and uh, thank you so much for your kind introduction there is a lot of things uh there are a lot of things that I learn from you, uh, that's why I uh, stay as your listener. And you are the host of the Survival Podcast, very popular and informative uh, show, with about, uh, I think, 14,000 of listeners every day, Monday to Friday. And you have uh, the survivalpodcast.com website with thousands of forum members and tons of helpful information. Please uh, tell me and my listeners who or what inspired uh, you uh, to podcasting and why you are doing it day by day and year after year? It, it's kind of a, a multi-pronged thing that did it. Um, first of all, uh, we share a heritage in being Ukrainian, and you you grew up in the Ukraine, and yes. I, I did not, but I grew up with uh, Ukrainian grandparents on, on both sides. And um, I'm big on always going back, and, and you know, if somebody inspires me and is part of it, then... I always acknowledge that as well. And there were two groups of people that really kind of inspired me to do this in a podcast format. One was a guy named Chris Future, who is a really um, passionate libertarian podcaster. Um, I'm not a huge fan of his show day to day, but it's a good show. And it, it, it it's about but it's nothing but politics. So I, I, I like things that are maybe a little bit more concrete and what we can do. But he was a good show. But he was the first person I ever heard podcasts from a car. And wow. I didn't have time at the time to do a podcast without, you know, sit down at a desk like we're doing now. Uh, so it, without him, there was no mobile podcast, which I did for a year and a half. So without Chris Future, there would have been no survival podcast. The other is a family called the Derveases out in California. And I watched a video of them and I saw them grow 6,000 pounds of food on a tenth of an acre. And I thought... That's They're great. making a difference. I need to make a difference, too. And then at the same time all this was going on, I was being exposed to this. I had a, a, a customer from my media company that wanted a podcast, and I never set one up before. So I set one up for a customer, so I did it for myself to learn how. And at the same time, I was also going, the stock market's about to go through the floor. America's not prepared for this. They're not prepared for anything. I always grew up in a culture of preparedness, and I'm like, I think I can help. Maybe someone will listen. In the first 30 days, there were about 12. And, and like you said, there's now about 14,000 a day. And uh, it's all because I think America is receptive to this message. 
And uh, I think that people like being empowered. They like to know what they can do for themselves. And uh, as much as government's a problem, what they can do in spite of government, not just to change government. Uh, Jack, uh, you just uh, said, and I've heard also on your show uh, about uh, Ukrainian roots. And uh, I'd like to know more about your Ukrainian ancestors and uh, what did you learn from them? What kind of uh, values they shared with you? Yeah, um, I, what I remember most would, would be my grandparents that were on my father's side. Mm -hmm. um, they were uh, Ukrainian Catholic, which I think a lot of people aren't even aware of that there is such a thing. Um, there's actually a little faction of Catholicism that, that that's unique to, to the Ukraine. And uh, I, I got a very good grounding in, in, in moral roots from specifically my grandmother on that side. Mm -hmm. Uh, and understanding spirituality. I, I wouldn't call myself a practicing Catholic at this point, but the the morality and the understanding of there's something greater than 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 you was what she really left with me. My grandfather and uh, my my father and my uncles on that side were the ones that taught me about the land and taking care of the land and growing our own food and preserving our own food and how to hunt and how to fish. And that was a mixture of both. The, the 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 heritage from the Ukraine and my grandfather and growing up in the you know through the depression uh -huh. in in the coal region of Pennsylvania which my grandfather put it this way they told us there was a depression and we didn't notice and then we fought a war and when we came back they told us the depression was over and we didn't notice it was the same <laughs> before as it was after and I think coming from that level of scarcity I mean my my father said back in the 50s they were still they they put the ba their bathroom in their regular you know with a flush yes. toilet in the 50s they were using an outhouse up till the 50s and yeah, when I you come from that kind of a background you value things a little bit more it's not if something you know the big thing is i learned if something's broken well, you try to fix it before you get a new one. Um, winter's going to come, and it's going to be freaking cold out, so maybe you should be prepared for that. Um, but I think the biggest thing was how lucky we were to be in this country. And when I went off to serve in the military, I had some people who said, you know, you're smart. You can get in any college you want. You, you, you know, you're wasting your future. My grandparents were so proud because they saw service as an honor. And, and it's those type of things that have stayed with me now. I'm almost 40 years old. Um, that I'll always remember those folks so fondly. And that's my link back to our common heritage. I've never been to the Ukraine. I'd love to go someday. But I feel very connected. I have another good friend named Valery Asanov, who, who also is from the Ukraine, and I feel very connected to anybody that shares that heritage because it was so strongly imper you know, implanted on me by, uh, by, my, by my grandparents. Yeah, I think it would be good for you to go to the Ukraine. By the way, I plan to go uh, very soon. So if you have time, Maybe we can go together. you can join. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that would be that would be great. That would be great because uh, you would learn uh, a lot, and you would probably uh, discover that uh, Ukrainian people they are still using outhouses. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Apparently, my grandmother wasn't in favor of building the the, the uh, bathroom until after it was done, and then then she thought it was a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, uh, although uh, the uh, 
survival podcast is uh, not a political uh, show. From what I hear on your show, I understand we share the same concern about where America is going now. Uh, what uh, do you think caused this uh, American shift towards uh, socialistic tyranny and when it started? I don't think it uh, started two or even ten years ago. Um, I think it's actually older than that, but it's been very, very subtle. And I think that America is largely a victim of our own propaganda. It is is tyrannical as socialism is. And for all of the negative things about socialism, if you were in America in 1950, the image that we were given of what it was like in Soviet Russia or any other communist nation was very, very negative and negative to the extreme. Not, not that there weren't a lot of things wrong with the socialist government, because there's tremendous things wrong with it, but you know, the image of the average Russian person uh, to an American in 1980 was, you know, weak, depressed, malnourished. No, you know, I mean, it was such a, a gray, grungy image that was created as part of a propaganda machine that I think Americans today don't recognize socialism when they see it. They don't get that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And then, as you very well know, socialism isn't presented to the people as, hey, we're going to oppress you and take away all your freedoms. That right. wouldn't go over very well. It's always presented as we need equality and we need fairness and we need to make sure that the greedy rich aren't taking away from the poor and we need to make everybody equal. It's, it's sold as a utopia and America has enough sins in its own background with racism and things like that that people are so ultra sensitive to anything that could be um, viewed that way today that it's being used against them. And no one wants to stand up and say, hey, you know, let the poor guy get a job instead of being poor. But I mean, all of the utopia of socialism looks great on paper and it never stands up to practical application. So you have a government that tries to institute a socialist program, and when it fails, instead of admitting failure, they say, we just need to do a little bit more. And Americans, as being very charitable and very caring and very loving people, yes, yes. think we have to help people. So, yeah, we have to do a little bit more. And then we look at a failed program like Social Security, and we say, oh, God, we can't take away money from the old people. But that's not really what it's about. It's about a system that has failed. And all we're doing at this point with all of these social programs is deferring pain. And I think what you understand and what people that come from these backgrounds understand that the average American and the average Westerner does not is that eventually when all of these systems fail and the bill comes due, the people that created all the problems, they're all cutting out the back of the restaurant or persecuting uh, the people that are left behind. But we're the ones that are going to have to pay the bill for this. And I think this has become very seductive to people simply because they have an image in their head of what socialism is supposed to be, mm -hmm. and they don't see it for what it is. You probably look at us and you think, the hell's wrong with these Americans? They're crazy, can't they? It's so obvious to you. <laughs> but to the average American, they don't... They, you know, the average American is, they, that's finally woken up to the fact that our current president's a socialist well, good luck convincing them that the guy running against him was a socialist. John McCain is a socialist. Yeah. I mean, he's not to that, not to the same extreme. But if you really want to take over a nation with socialism, you give the people two socialists and say one's worse than the other. Right. And that's how you create the illusion of democracy, which is something else I'm sure you've, you know, had had more than your fill of. And that's where I think we are today. Um, it's through seduction. 
I, I recently heard online uh, like Newt Gingrich uh, talking uh, for uh, uh, not directly but uh, let's say for this new world socialist order and now suddenly he's writing books against the socialist Obama and you know it's hard to believe them after after what you heard uh, they said uh, years ago yeah you know the, here's the issue it's it's the problem we have in america today is most americans pay attention to the marketing of the Democratic Party or the marketing of the Republican Party versus the actions. The marketing is all the stuff that they tell you to sell you the gadget, right? So if I want to sell you an iPhone, I tell you all the stuff that it supposedly does. Now, fortunately for Apple, it actually the iPhone makes good on its marketing promise. Intuitive, easy, powerful, uh, you know, apps at your fingertips. But the, the marketing of the Democratic Party and the marketing of the Republican Party is like marketing for an iPhone, but what you end up getting is a freaking wall phone you plug into your wall <laughs> with one of those old ro rotary dial things. The marketing message does not live up to the delivery that either party comes through with. And what we really have is a situation now where it feels to me like these two groups are actually taking us to the same place. We're just riding in different cars. And one car is 90 miles an hour toward the cliff, and the other <laughs> car is doing 80 miles an hour on an angle toward the cliff. Yeah. And it's up to us to say, you know what, the hell with this, no more, because we don't have to deal with this. People say, well, what do I do if I'm staunchly Republican or staunchly Democrat? How do I get rid of my incumbent? It's called a primary election, folks. Let's vote these clowns out in March and put your neighbor in office instead of, you know, worrying about the lesser of two evils, because I'm so sick of that. That's <laughs> yeah. how you end up with socialism, by yeah. taking the lesser of two evils. Yeah, I think uh, what I watched uh, since I'm in America, that uh, uh, these two parties, they kind of prepared the way for each other absolutely absolutely all you see is swings now alex i mean if you think about it um you had the big republican takeover of the house and the senate under bill clinton but bill clinton won re-election and then it turned over to bush and then it swung full power to the republican side and then slowly the democrats took back the house and the senate and then, you know, they took the White House. And what you're going to see, you know, it's not going to be a big surprise when you see the Republicans take back, you know, quote unquote, power in the in the in the, the Congress and in the Senate. And then you'll probably see coming around next election, a Republican president. And, and then it'll just keep swinging back and forth. And all the while the people are busy fighting with each other, they don't realize that their freedoms are being eroded one at a time. And it doesn't matter who's in charge. The real power that be today is economic, and it's wielded by the lobbyists that are buying these people. And when they show up to work the first day, they're already bought and paid for. Don't you think there can be a scenario uh, like this? They are allowing uh, Republicans to win House and uh, uh, Senate uh, while President is a socialist, uh, so they will not be able to do anything or because he will uh, obstruct it. And of course, at the end, he will say, you see, you elected uh, those Republicans and they did nothing good, uh, you know. You know, I think it's, it's, it's possible, but I think it's more likely that what we watch, we look at and we see it like, you know, if you look at the, you know fighting sports in America, there's two 
you know, big ones that from back in the day. Anyway, one was wrestling and one was boxing and boxing was real and wrestling was fake. Right. So people look at politics and they see it like wrestling. Like they, they send the two wrestlers against each other. The whole thing's choreographed and, and, and the, the fight's not real. I think the fight is real, but it's, it's like boxing where you think boxing's real, but it's really not because they control who gets in there because why do we have heavyweight champions that weigh 220 pounds when there's guys that weigh 500 pounds, right? <laughs> that guy's not allowed into the ring. So if you control who gets in, the two, guys, the two candidates are really fighting it out. They're both trying to win. They're both trying to make their case. They both think they're in control to a degree. But the money that backs them is going to control who actually gets elected. And if you look at, if you look at the last presidential election, John McCain— Seriously, that was the best the Republicans could do was John McCain. It was like they threw the match before it even started is how I felt. Um, there was anybody that, that was actually waiting with bated breath on Election Day last year was just fooling themselves. Um, so I think, yeah, there's some of that nonsense going on there. But I think what it really comes down to is a, a manipulation of people through a pantomime. All these fights, all these acts, most of these votes are already decided. And all while they're fighting over a big issue like health care, 20 or 30 little things are getting passed behind their backs no one even ever sees. And it's, yeah. um, it's a puppet regime at this point. But the puppeteer is, the, is the, the corporation with the money. It's socialism, but it's not socialism in the classic communist form. We're looking at more of a, a, a fascist form of socialism in this country today where the divisions of the people are seen advantageous and cooperation and government work together to control the masses. That's what we're seeing. It's hard for people to accept because, again, victims of our own propaganda. We think Nazi and we think yeah. concentration camps and Hitler. Well, Mussolini was a fascist yes. uh, as much as Hitler, but he didn't round people up and put them in concentration camps. Fascism is an economic social system, and that's what we're living in today. And we don't even recognize it. We've hybridized the worst of Soviet communism and, and neo-fascism and put those together and said, oh, look, people, you're free. Well, how free are we really when we're getting to a point where in a few years we're not even free to go without health insurance without being fined or choose our own doctors? We've been lied to. And if we go outside the system, we face jail time. If we don't pay our taxes, they could take away our property and throw us in jail. The greatest way to enslave a people is convince them they're free while you're enslaving them. And that's where I feel like we are. Uh, what do you think uh, uh, was the uh, biggest uh, uh, danger for this country? Uh, installation of uh, federal uh, reserve or social security? It definitely federal reserve, because if we didn't have that, there wouldn't be a social security system because it would have already fell apart. The only reason we can fund to something like Social Security is because we can just print new money. Um, the Federal Reserve is at the core of every economic problem that we have in the country today. And here's what here's the let, let's play devil's advocate in the mm -hmm. case that uh, the person that's proponent of the Federal Reserve makes the, the proponent of the Federal Reserve goes, "Look, Alex Jack, everybody else, I hear you guys. The government is incompetent. The government is wasteful. The government spends too much money." So. If we got rid of the Federal Reserve and the government could create money, it would be even worse. Well, sure, as long as they could create money by typing it into a computer. 
But before we had a Federal Reserve, we had a gold standard. The beauty of a gold standard or any other commodity-backed standard is you can't just make more money. You got to bring up the backing. So if you want more dollars, you got to bring in more gold. When we went away from that and we slowly came off the gold standard in like a three-step plan kind of, we, the Federal Reserve was the first step and then Roosevelt did some things in the 30s that were the second step. And then Nixon basically took us off the last vestiges in the 70s. 71 and it's really 75 when people were allowed to own gold again where everything kind of slipped away um but without that without the ability to manipulate money and loan money to, into existence all of the power that's leveraged over the american people falls apart i think it's it, it's not just the federal reserve it's the entire fractional reserve system where not only does the federal reserve uh -huh. just create money out of thin air but then they, if you have the bank of Alex, right, and they give you borrow a million dollars from them, you turn around and loan 900000 But when the deposits come back into your bank, you loan against it again. And when the deposits come back into your bank, you loan against it. And you leverage yourself out 40 to 1. And we take a million dollars and we create about $40 million with it. And that insanity has allowed enough money to be created out of thin air to put enough wealth in the hands of a few that control the many, the, the whole system is a chess game. And as diametrically opposed as the Soviet Union and the United States appeared at one time, I believe that there's a common hand uh, in, in the background between the two. Uh, not the New World Order conspiracy, but the New World Order reality, the, the yes. stuff that's in our face, you know, that they're, 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 they're happy to tell you about, you know. They're not hiding this stuff. They're like, you know, if we just could get good global governance together and a little bit more power and a little bit more cooperation, we could fix everything. And I mean, I'm interested in your view of this. I think that that's the big sales pitch and the big hope of socialism is we can create utopia. And I think that's nonsense that we need individual liberty, but that's what they're selling us, right? Yes. We can yes. fix it. Government will fix it for you. And we are all in debt. We think we are rich, but we are all in debt uh, to the top of our heads. Absolutely. Debt is the ultimate tool of enslavement. There was a time when it was legal in many parts of the world for one man to actually own and enslave another person. And, of course, it wasn't poor people that were enslaving people. We look at the American Civil War and all of the men that died in that war. And what I think people fail to realize is the majority of men that died on both sides of that war were poor and middle class Americans, just like, the, it, you know, the, 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 the Soviets who died in Afghanistan and the Americans dying in Afghanistan yes. are common bond is it wasn't the rich Soviets or rich Americans is the poor and the middle class. Yeah. The people that died in our civil war had nothing to do with slavery. They couldn't afford a slave. The wealthy had them. What they learned is that paradigm shift was that they actually had an advantage by not having slavery anymore. If you actually enslave a person, you truly, in the classic sense, enslave a person, and, and you're my slave, Alex, I have to feed you, I have to provide you with medical attention, yeah. <laughs> I have to provide you with care, I have to provide you with housing. If I enslave you with debt, right, then you have to provide your own housing, you have to feed yourself. So I get all of the benefit of enslaving you with none of the responsibility to care for you. And then I turn around and substitute that slave master care with a socialist program that I make you fund at the point of a gun and tell you it's for your own good. And that's, I know that sounds depressing, but that's why I spend so much time on individual power and changing your own life in your own terms. And 
we do what we can to affect government, but we start in our own backyard and with ourselves first because people can only be enslaved by choice. That's another lie of history that people are enslaved as victims. We're choosing this enslavement. And I, for one, am done with it. I'm not, I'm not accepting my slavery. And I suggest that anyone listening to your show take that from you, because I hear that in your voice as well. It's not just about changing the system. It's about an individual choice. You're not doing this to me. Because one thing we still have going for us in this nation is we had a bunch of crazy revolutionaries that created one of the most dangerous documents in the world called the Constitution. And no matter how much those people hate it, they can't get rid of it. <laughs> You know, we uh, just uh, spoke recently a lot about politicians, but that's why I want to talk uh, a little bit more about uh, uh, people and what they can do. Like when facing a socialistic assault on this country, many people, they encounter two voices. One voice says, stand up and fight, be a patriot. Only with a massive resistance, you will be able to reverse the course and secure your own and your children's survival. And another voice is more uh, fatalistic, and it says, Tuck your head down. They will prevail anyway. Dissolve in the dust. Become invisible, and you will uh, survive. Jack, what uh, you would tell uh, people as a third voice, uh, the one that Uh, can be heard in the survival podcasts yeah i think that's a beautiful question and i've never heard it put quite that way and and, and thank you for that because there is a third way and it's what we call our our own revolution and our revolution comes down to the fact that you don't be quiet and go away but running around with a sign and thinking that voting for somebody else is going to change things is probably a mistake But when you declare independence and sovereignty as an individual in your own life and you do it with meaningful action, you start you stop waiting for the government to fix our problems with energy and starting putting in your own alternative energy, not to save the planet or a polar bear, but because you want the independence. You start growing your own food. You start being prepared for disaster. You arm yourself and you defend yes, your home yes. if it's invaded and you take a stance of I will take care of myself. The issue there is not just the indivisible person does the same thing quietly and they go away the person that wants to change things does it outwardly not in somebody's face but visible to the rest of the world i don't hide who i am or what i do because there's something about an empowered person like that that's infectious it's a light it's a shining light and people start asking you how are you doing this why are you doing this how can i do this too and it spreads like a virus through the people and if you change even 10% of this country to think that way by example, then their example is visible to the other 90%. There'll always be 20% of the population that are mentally retarded is the best way. And I don't mean that in the classic sense. I mean, they're insane. They don't, yeah, they don't yeah. get it, right? But there's the 80% that will listen. But you can't get to them by yelling and screaming today or by, by organizing a march. You get to them by being something that you are designed to be through your creation, which is you are a human. And as a human being, you have rights, and you don't need to worry about whether somebody says you have them or not. They are ordained to you through your very creation, and you act on them. And when you act on them, you spread that through people. Our Constitution doesn't give a single right to our people. It recognizes them, and by recognizing them, commands government to not interfere with them. 
Yes. That is different than every other nation that I know of on the planet. If there is another one, someone tell me who it is because I want to espouse their ideals as well. But our Constitution doesn't say that you have a right to free speech, Alex. It says you had a right to free speech the day you were born, and our government is to stay out of the way of your right. And if we just act on that, we're unstoppable. But it's not about getting up and yelling and screaming or waving a sign. It's about doing it in a meaningful way and impacting your own life. Because when you're on fire with passion in your life and your life keeps getting better and better, even if everything's falling apart around you, people want a part of that. And it's much easier to teach someone to grow a garden than to argue about politics. Yeah, uh, that's what uh, what I wanted to ask uh, uh, next. Uh, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, uh, some of uh, some of my listeners might be uh, politically like involved in this whole process like tea party elections etc but they and i don't want to put that to be, be, be fair i don't want to put that down yeah, i'm just yeah. saying that that can't be our only solution yeah yeah but but they maybe uh, listen they may be hearing for the first time maybe some of them hearing for the first time about the need to uh, be prepared uh, for survival what do you have to say uh, for such listeners? Uh, maybe even some got interested and uh, uh, want to get started somehow, but they just uh, never been in this. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of what I just said applies because survivalism is about more than being prepared if there's a disaster, whether it's man-made or natural. Survivalism is about having independence and autonomy from the systems of support. There's two aspects to, 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 to having that independence. One is self-reliance and the other is self-sufficiency. And people generally see those two words as being the same thing and they're not. Self-reliance is I might use a lot of things that are around me, but if they fail, I have a redundancy. So I might be tied to the electrical grid to turn my lights on, but if it fails, I have a generator and a backup system. Self-sufficiency is where I don't even use the, the grid at all. I'm completely independent. When you put those two concepts together, you can, you can it's hard to be 100% self-sufficient in this world today, but you can be highly self-reliant self, self and a little bit self-sufficient. As you put those two things together, that empowers you, and that's what I was just talking about. The other side of it, though, the more practical application that, that's easier for people to understand is we live in a world where our government keeps telling us they have a solution to all our problems. They don't have solutions to all our problems. There's no way. No one has solutions to all our problems. We are going into a world where we will have food shortages. The population is outstripping our capacity to produce. We're running into an area where we're going to have um, shortages in energy. And then it only takes one little thing to disrupt what we've already expected to be okay, like a, a disease pandemic or a natural disaster. And in those situations, the most benevolent forms of government will do everything they can to help. And there's an old saying, never attribute that to malice, which you can explain through incompetence. And when we looked at Katrina, mm -hmm. it wasn't the government not wanting to help, at least not all of it. It was the problem was bigger than they were capable of. And all I'm saying is that Every single one of us has the potential to end up in that situation where no one's coming to help us, not because they don't care, because they don't have the capacity. We've been on the on the cusp of it so many times that people went unaware to. Uh, in 2008, uh, diesel fuel almost crossed the $5 a gallon threshold as a national average. It was about 20 cents from hitting a point where the average truck driver was going to say, you know what? I can't afford to drive my truck anymore. Yeah, I remember so what that. happens? The trucks stop. 
Well, what happens to the food supply then? And you can complain, you can call your senator, you can call your congressman, you can hold up a sign, but you can't get blood from a stone. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to take basic preparation steps so that if our systems of support fail, that we're able to deal with it. Now, some people have a low risk tolerance and they might want a year worth of uh, capability on, on their side. Some people have a high risk tolerance, and they may only need 30 days. But what scares me is the average American couldn't really do very well for more than a week in their home. And I think that's foolish. That would be like every time you go to fill your car up, mm -hmm. you only put like two gallons of gas in it because you don't need it. You only need two, two gallons for today. Um, you fill the tank. And if the tank was 10 gallons bigger, as long as you had the money, you'd fill it all the way up so that you are self-sufficient as far as fuel. We need to think that way with our water, with our food, with our energy, and everything else we depend on. The byproduct is the more self-sufficient you become, the less you need government and the less they can sell you a bill of goods under the guise of helping you. Because the response from fiercely independent people of, well, we'll put this program in place and it'll help you is, screw off. We don't need your help. We got it covered, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, we'll have to ca cancel this service. Please do. Give me a tax refund. Right. That would be the response. Instead, what we get are people that are afraid because they haven't created any self-sufficiency. And the thought of losing connection to Twitter, let alone the grocery store, terrifies them. Yeah, people just think uh, it always be the same. They can go to a nearby Walmart or whatever store and just have everything there. Why? Yeah, there's what's called just-in-time inventory. And this is uh, an American capitalist creation, and it's a brilliant one financially. It really is. And that is that if I'm running a uh, hundred large department stores, uh, I can manage my inventory in such a way that I'm buying it, shipping it, and delivering it in a just-in-time fashion where my shelves are never empty, but I'm never holding excess inventory. And if I want to make money, that's a brilliant solution. The problem is one hiccup in the distribution ch chain, uh, a boycott of, of a nation's imports, a, a, a fuel shortage, uh, a disease that creates a, a shutdown of borders, or anything else from the mundane to uh, the extreme, and all of a sudden that just-in-time inventory becomes no inventory. The shelves wipe out. We get one little snowstorm in the Northeast, and what happens? The, the, the shelves are empty. Now imagine the shelves empty and resupply being three weeks out. Well, by the time the resupply comes, we got more hoarding going on. There's shortages beyond your imagination. And that's from a simple problem. The more complex the problem, the longer the duration, the greater the impact. And it will always be that no matter how bad the disaster it is, the response of the unprepared is the real danger. Hurricane Katrina did a lot of damage. But what got people killed once the storm passed was the response of the people that were stranded without help. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some people uh, may think, uh, okay, uh, I got interested in uh, preparation and survival, uh, and uh, but uh, uh, what about my friends and uh, relatives? What they will think? Uh, you know, people a lot uh, sometimes uh, when they make decisions, they say, oh, what uh, this will think, what this will think. Especially people depend on the opinion of their close uh, friends and relatives. Uh, what uh, would you tell to such people and how they can uh, do something uh, to get uh, their families 
involved or at least uh, accepting it? Well, I think one of the big things you can do is make the case that I do, which is the things we talk about are not insanity. They're not filling your, your garage to the roof with, with MREs. They're simple, practical steps with a long-term plan towards self-sufficiency. One is don't don't get Messiah complex where you think you got to run around and force everybody to think like you do. Just start acting and don't worry too much about what they have to say. Share what you can and what they're not receptive to keep your mouth shut about. Not really like not telling them, but tell them once and when they say no, stop. It's amazing what happens with people. If you try to convince them of an idea, and this is not just survival, this is anything. If you try to convince them of an idea and they resist and you keep pushing, the resistance becomes stronger. If you make your case and they say no and you say, okay, and you go back about your life and you're happy, then all of a sudden you have an attraction to them. They, they're like, what's going on? So you'll convert more people with that anyway. The other side of this, though, is a lot of the practical survival steps that we talk about are things like reducing your debt, getting rid of your credit cards, having cash reserves, deferring a little bit of that gratification, not buying a new car today, saving up for it, paying cash for it tomorrow. These things are going to help you, not just if there's a disaster. They're going to help you if you get a phone call and say, hey, I'm sorry, but you lost your job. And to worry about what your family thinks or your friends think, I'll ask you this. When you lose your job, are they going to pay your mortgage and your electric bill and put food on your table? Are they going to take care of you? No. So it's incumbent upon you to do these things for yourselves, your family, and the people you love, even if other people may maybe mock that. Um, I think debt elimination is a big place where you get resistance because people, you know, it's it's almost a jealousy. Like, they don't want to give up what they have. So when you give up what you have, when you say, I'm going to drive an old car for a couple of years and fix my debt, people are resentful of that. Well, let them be resentful. You'll win them over with your results. Yeah, I have 14,000, 15,000 people a day that listen to me now. My immediate family, other than my wife and my son, are just now finally coming around to realizing I'm not nuts. You know, it, it's taken this level of success <laughs> for them to go, yeah. well, maybe this guy's not crazy. Maybe he is Maybe he is making sense, you know. Um, you can't worry about what they think. But then again, don't fuel their fire. Don't look like a nut job with this stuff. And don't push against resistance with an idea. Uh, it, it's the same thing parents do. Parents, the daughter comes home, she's got a boyfriend, and the guy's like a grungy guy, no job, he's worthless. And yeah. what do the parents do? They're like, you can't see him, get away from him, you know, he's bad. And then what does the girl do? She grabs on. If you just said, hey, hey, how you doing? Come on in. And maybe had a little talk with him about being respectful to your daughter so that he didn't do anything stupid. But otherwise, we're nice to the guy. She'd probably see it for herself and ditch the guy in a, in a week or two. Yeah. But if you start pushing back, right, all of a sudden you got this Romeo-Juliet syndrome. Yeah, opposite. That's what politics, survivalism, that's what we do to ourselves. We know the truth, but we won't shut up about it long enough to let it sink in. You need to see the ideas and then pull back and say, if you want more, ask, if that makes sense. Uh, Jack, where people can go to learn uh, more about the things that you are saying in this interview? Uh, they can go to thesurvivalpodcast.com or it can be thesurvivalpodcast.com, whether, you know, depending on whether you're from the northern or southern United States, whether you say the or the. And uh, I've done 504 episodes as of this morning. 
And uh, all of my shows are available for free download. We have a great forum, and we have a lot of other great resources. And thank you for having me on today. Yeah, actually, it was a uh, uh, double reason uh, for me to invite you. First, because uh, I have a 50th uh, show, uh, but also uh, to congratulate you having passed uh, 500 uh, uh, podcasts. And uh, I am kind of zero, uh, one zero away from you. <laughs> 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 but you know what just keep doing it because it's evident that you are doing what you're doing because you care about people and uh i think we'll see really i, I think we'll see a 500th episode of what you're doing and, and i look forward to it uh, jake you uh, also have other projects uh, like recently you started uh, at uh five minutes uh, uh, lessons uh, for those who want start a business or more like internet business. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I would occasionally get questions from people on my survival podcast about starting a business because it is an independence issue. I mean, if you control your income along with all the other aspects of your life, you truly have independence. So I would field those questions there and occasionally do a show about it. And there was a lot of interest. And I started to get a lot of people saying, well, you do more about it. And I didn't want to change the show to be, you know, a business show. I wanted it to stay what it was with some business components and some economic components at times. But I also thought, you know, after I got out of consulting and working as a marketer with uh, clients and things and did this full time, what I missed was the mentoring. I missed the helping of people. I missed uh, hearing about other entrepreneurs' great ideas. And so I launched this little show and it's just a little, you know, five minutes. I do it about three times a week. Hey, here's something I'm working on. Here's something I've, I've done before. Here's how to handle this aspect, whether it's technical or, or business thought. I take questions from the audience and it's uh, I've changed the format now. It's in video on YouTube and it's on audio and iTunes. And it, it, like you said, available at jackspearco.com. And there's no you couldn't give me a dollar there if you wanted to. It's uh, <laughs> it's just really a community service at this point because. Um, I believe that one of the biggest things that we need in America today are people that are in control of their own destiny by running their own business. And I'm trying to help as many people do that as I can, because that's a big part of independence. I will probably miss a video on uh, iTunes. But uh, anyway, I, I will switch to YouTube for sure, uh, because... Uh, I like to hear and see, and uh, sometimes you show the screen uh, of the computer and how you do this and you do that. So that's uh, that's very good, and thank you very much for for this service. Uh, uh, I started listening uh, like uh, a while ago. I just when you had just maybe three or four, uh, but then somehow I just didn't have much time. But recently I just. Uh, downloaded to my iTouch uh, all of them with videos and just uh, on my long trip uh, I just <laughs> went through all of them and it's uh, great I have still a lot to digest so I recommend my friends my listeners uh, to go there and as Jack said uh, you can listen or you can uh, listen and see on YouTube and you will learn a lot. Uh, I uh, highly recommend that. Also, I wanted to ask you a little bit. We have uh, still a little bit more time. 
about uh, other project and um, it's called uh, remind me like preserving skills or something yeah i set up a site a while ago called saveourskills.com and with all the things i'm doing it's something i just haven't had the opportunity uh or the time really to uh to run properly and uh, so i put out a, a call to uh my audience on the uh, business podcast and said does anybody want to be my partner in this and i got like 50 people that that wanted to do it wow. and uh <laughs> it was it was hard it was uh man i i actually had like a couple of my business associates go through like i picked the top 20 and said you guys call it down to like 3 and then cuz i i was like i knew a lot of these people and i didn't want any nepotism in it and I ended up picking a gentleman by the name of Nick Ledeau, who will be relaunching that shot site around the uh, second week of September. And the goal of that site is going to be the preservation of America's skills, everything from primitive skills like how to make a fire with a bow drill up to, to, to you know, current mechanical skills like how to change the oil in your car. Because that's a big thing of what we're losing. We're losing the ability of the average American person to do these things for themselves. Um, you know, my grandfather told me, like, during the Depression, that, that like, every every American male knew how to do things like fix a hole in a wall, fix a carburetor, uh, plant a garden, all of that stuff. And, and, you know, they were big on teaching me that as a kid. And I look around now and I talk to, you know, my contemporaries, people my own age. And, they, you know, I had a one guy recently. He said, well, we we're talking about illegal immigration. He said, well, who's going to cut your grass? I said, me. He's like, you cut your own grass? I'm like, of course I cut my own grass. You know, you know, or like, you know, he said, uh, he said, uh, he said something to me about one time about brakes on his on his truck. And I said, well, you're going to do that yourself, right? He said, no, I'm going to take it to the shop. I'm like, you don't know how to do brakes? You know, and I realized that there's all of these simple things, fishing, hunting, gardening, trapping, things that we just are losing these skills. They're part of our heritage. And you know how important it is yourself to keep that heritage alive. And I don't want that heritage lost. So that's going to be the goal of this site is to, to reinstill the skills that created America's heritage. This was the most fiercely independent nation in the world 100 years ago. You couldn't have invaded this place. If you went back and reincarnated the yes. hordes of Mongolia, they would have been slaughtered and floating in the oceans. And today we're at a place where, you know, the standard answer to a problem is I'll call a guy to fix it. Well, I don't want that for my nation. It's okay to let somebody else do work for you, but it's not okay to advocate it to the point where you couldn't do it if you had to. Yeah, I love the idea of that saving skills uh, uh, project uh, very much. I almost applied uh, myself. Uh, uh, just uh, sorry, I I have such a shortage of time that I I couldn't do that, but I love it very much. Uh, uh, because uh, from my grandparents and from my parents and living through the life, uh, uh, I learned so many different skills. Uh, you know, that's how we survived back in Soviet Union. Uh, we knew how to do things. So we, if we encountered a problem, we just learned. Uh, so I keep doing uh, here and there sometimes, like uh, recently I... Uh, you know, my, my wife, she likes to bake uh, home bread, like uh, graining, uh, like uh, making own flour. Uh, so we had uh, this manual, um, you know, meal, <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh, such a pain to uh, make enough flour with a manual uh, meal. So I 
took this manual meal. I took a uh, uh, $5 or $3 uh, bread machine uh, from Goodwill and just uh, made uh, electric uh, meal for her from these two uh, appliances. I was even considering to make video uh, and put it on YouTube how I made it. You should put that on YouTube. I mean, that's how we need to start thinking because we've gotten to a place with America where part of the reason we have so much debt is when people want something, uh, they never think how they can create it for themselves, uh, and they're never willing to, to, to put it off until tomorrow. But some things we shouldn't put off until tomorrow. And we should just figure out how to do them today. And, and that's a perfect example of what you did there. You went out and took two things that look like they're not related to each other. You put them together and created a solution. And that's exactly what Save Our Skills is going to be all about, is how to do that. So people will be able to participate there, right? Yeah, we're going to take as much... Con if you want to submit... Anybody that wants to submit content will be able to do that. I can't tell you exactly how we're going to take submissions right now, because uh, Nick is really going to run that site. I, I am more of a... Um, a backer on that site. I originated the idea and I'm going to be kind of a, a business mentor toward him. Uh, but he's going to run the site and any revenue that's derived off of it, the lion's share is going to go to him. Uh, I believe in a partnership like that, the guy that does the work should get the lion's share of the, uh, the reward. So it's really going to be his project and I'm going to be a backer in it. And Jake, uh, before we finish uh, this podcast, uh, you know, since I started uh, listening to your podcasts, uh, probably in the, the end of May last year and listening ever since I don't think I missed even one so I remember hearing you about uh, one person and I always, always wanted to ask you a little bit more about him it's kind of maybe curiosity uh, but uh, just want to see if you can uh, clear this uh, for me uh, I mean the Val Ryazanov you mentioned him as a friend and you helped him in something. And uh, you also mentioned uh, that he was involved in uh, KGB. And of course, I was the one who was persecuted by KGB. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, here's the thing, Alex. I think you and Val would be wonderful friends today. Um, I, I think that Val is probably one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, he, of course, comes from a background like that, but, you know, you end up in places in a socialist nation because it's where you're told to go. Um, like most people in that time and in the Soviet Union, he was uh, put into compulsory military service. Mm -hmm. uh, he had priorly uh, been on the uh, Russian Olympic judo squad, oh. uh, competed in the, I guess it was this, I don't remember which Olympics, somewhere, uh, the 76 or the 84, somewhere in there. And so he had that background of, of, of judo and Russian sambo. So he ended up being a trainer for the KGB and involved with some of the KGB operations. Um, but when you talk to him today, he sounds, he sounds like he, get, like much like you do, he gets the, the ignorance of the West with socialism better than most people. And, you know, Val is a dear friend today. And I served in the United States army airborne Corps at the same time he was serving with the Russian military. Mm -hmm. And I think that the two of us were trained to kill each other. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, it. It, it troubles me to think that this man and I were trained to kill each other, to hate each other. And we're both results of our government's actions. 
Uh, positive, negative, or neutral were both those results. What I like about Val is the integrity. I asked him, why did you leave after the fall of the Soviet Union? He said, there were two choices for me because I was associated with the KGB. Yeah, There was either join the Russian mafia or oh, yeah. leave, and I left. And I thought, well, that, at least we know <laughs> that guy's got morals. <laughs> and uh, he's a uh, he's a, a master of a Russian martial art known as Sistema. Uh, we put together some DVDs for him. We just released a whole new set of them. Uh, I've been working with him for a very long time. He is now in Dubai and uh, works as a security training person for the Royal Guard there. Uh, he's one of the most unique individuals I've ever met. But, uh, you know, I think that his role there was not the typical role we think of like an operative. He was more of a trainer on combat. You know, because we're talking uh, here about uh, uh, survival and surviving socialism uh, with skills. And uh, one other reason when, why I wanted to ask you about Val, uh, because uh, when you don't have your rifle or your gun beside you, uh, you still uh, need to survive. You still need to defend yourself and your loved ones, right? Correct. And my experience with Val is... I cannot believe, and I've got a lot of martial arts experience in my life. And so the judo sambo stuff, you know, he's a guy that's been in the Olympics is amazing in of itself, right? Um, or even train with the Olympic squad. I'm not sure exactly how that worked out, but um, he's obviously a top-notch athlete there. But at least I understand it. The way these guys move with this Sistema stuff and the way they deflect and, and use your own energy against you is something you have to experience to believe. I think the biggest holdup we have in selling the information on it is you see somebody get hit with this stuff on, on a computer screen or a, a TV screen, and you're like, it can't possibly be as effective as it looks, but it is. And it is the most effective and easy-to-learn method of self-defense I've ever seen. And what he explained to me was is the Russian military used this because – they didn't get the kind of long-term training that a soldier in the United States got. Your self-defense training was basically a week. Here you go. Go on. Get off with yourself and, and go out and do it. So they use very human movements, very uh, movements. They, they, some of the movement almost is childlike because uh, if you ever, like, play with a baby and a baby punches you, yeah. right, you're like, Hold, where did that come from? Well, it's because they don't know their limits. And they allow the weight of their body to, to, to deliver kinetic energy. And a lot of the striking is of that mindset. And it's, it's incredible. Uh, but, I mean, the guy handed me a knife, a real knife, and said, stab me in the stomach. And I'm like, no. He's like, go ahead, try. I'm like, no. <laughs> and uh, so you start doing it in slow motion. Eventually, you're like, well, maybe I'll nick him just to shut him up. And you can't touch the guy. It's amazing the skills that these guys have. And uh, it's amazing how easy it is. It's, it's, diff it's like, uh, like a lot of games. It's very easy to learn. But it takes, I think, you know, it takes a lot of skill to master. Are these videos, uh, they are ready uh, for people to buy? Yep. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, Valryazanov.com. Uh, I could send you a link by email. Maybe you can put with your uh, show notes or whatever. Um, but if you, uh, if you look for ballistic striking on Google, you'll probably find us as well. And uh, we have an old set of videos uh, that we put out as the original set about three years ago. We've sold, I believe, like, 25,000 copies of that original series. And uh, we have a new series. Now it's a five DVD set, three on striking, one on judo sambo, uh, mm -hmm. takedown techniques, and one on dealing with armed opponents. And uh, it's the next best thing to be in there with Val. And uh, talk about a guy that's learned the hard way and has had to use these skills to protect himself. He's that guy.
Well, uh, Jack, we have another uh, common f uh, friend, uh, Jenny Marks and the Queen. And when oh the, yeah. <laughs> when they were when they were on the vacation, they actually visited um, my family. So we were eating together uh, real Ukrainian Russian food here in Florida. We we live just a few minutes away from Disney, and um, I was thinking maybe. Uh, one day we can get together and hit uh, Jenny Max's and Queen's uh, brewery in uh, Texas and uh, just have a good time. Uh, <laughs> over there. I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it with you. And uh, maybe we could teach that boy uh, how to cook some uh, haluki or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jake, thank you again for uh, coming uh, on the show. It was uh, fun. It was a good time to spend with you. Well, Alex, I appreciate being here. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's a big honor to be part of your 50th episode. Uh, please remind again uh, your uh, websites and uh, where people can go also on YouTube, uh, how they will find you there. Sure. I mean, the easiest thing to go is just go to uh, thesurvivalpodcast.com. Again, thesurvivalpodcast.com. And you can connect to YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, everything from there. My business show is at jackspierko.com and our uh, martial arts products at Valerie Asanoff. That's Val, like uh, almost like a female name, but don't tell him that or he'll club you. Valerieazanoff.com. <laughs> and uh, saveourskills.com. You might want to hold off about two weeks on that before the relaunch. Well, uh, thank you again, Jack, and I wish you all the best uh, and even more success in what you're doing because it uh, really helps uh, me uh, personally and will help uh, many more thousands and thousands of people of this great country. Thanks again for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this show. Until the next week, when you will hear again the voice of Common Sense, your socialism survival host, Alex. <laughs>